Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. That's ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Again, that's ebaymotors.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross at Fightful.com here with a name you know, one of the, the biggest names in wrestling interviewing. And you know what? We've interviewed him before. We did it in front of a bunch of chicken tenders and pizza, and I can't remember what else that we, we had there. We'll talk about it in a bit. We got Chris Van Vliet. Chris, how are you? Where's the pizza, Sean? Where's yeah, the I did. <laughs> Denise does those giveaways on Twitter all the time now. Uh, so that's her gimmick. No more food for you. We're starving you out. That was so fun. We did that in Las Vegas. Like that was, man, that was two and a half years ago. That was double or nothing, nothing weekend, 2019. And you were like, Hey, we're trying this new thing called fightful feast. Can you come up to our hotel room and and eat some pizza? We drank beer too. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I've never drank, but yeah. But you know, the best, the, the most fun part of that is we didn't pay for it. Jimmy did. That, that is, <laughs> so thank you, Jimmy Van. Yeah, and I, I hit up Jimmy, and I was like, you know, I think it might be a little more cost-effective to just not do that. <laughs> Especially with the prices of room service in Las yeah. Vegas. Yeah, so it's interesting. Anytime I go to Toronto, Jimmy puts me in like a five-star hotel, and I had to legitimately say to him, Jimmy, stop. And he's like, Why? And I said, because in five-star hotels, they don't have fridges or microwaves because they assume you are rich enough to just order the room service all the time. So they don't even bother. I was like, so I got I, like, I, I can't afford this, Jimmy. What are we talking about? Is he putting you up at the Royal York in Toronto? I've been to the Shangri-La. Um, and where else? There, there's a couple really good ones or two or three really good ones like – he he treats me very well there. It's very awesome. Like, well, he treats you really well just in general, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, Chris, you treat the wrestling world very well. Uh, you've been like, you've been the source of some of the the best interviews, some of the most in depth interviews, quite in wrestling history. Like, you're, you're one of the best interviewers, period. And you came from a background that doesn't necessarily happen a ton. Like we see some people cross over from, from mainstream news and, and uh, affiliates and things like that. But at what point did you know, like, Hey, I want to do both of these things. 
Well, thank you for the kind words and right back at you. You do some incredible interviews and I don't know how you don't have more subscribers on the YouTube channel. It's wild. Begging them, begging them. For me, I've worked as an entertainment reporter for my entire career. So when you're interviewing comedians and actors and directors, they're just people in the space of entertainment. So it was 2007. I was working for MTV2 Canada in Vancouver. Oh. We're interviewing all kinds of like musicians and comedians and all that stuff. And I saw that SmackDown and ECW was coming to town. And I asked my boss, I said, do you think we could interview a wrestler? And she goes, yeah, we've, we've done that before. Like, absolutely. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get paid to talk to a wrestler. And I it was a massive wrestling fan, always really passionate about wrestling. I trained to be a pro wrestler for a few months, was a backyard wrestler. So all of that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it's the, my two passions colliding here, broadcasting and pro wrestling in one. And it was just kind of right place, right time. Every different TV station I went to in whatever city I was living in, I just kind of became known as the guy who liked wrestling because as you know, that's what happens when you like wrestling. You talk about it and people know about it and that's your thing. So whenever Raw, SmackDown or Impact would come to town, you know, twice a year, three times a year, I would be doing whatever I could to get those interviews. And that's kind of where it was. So it was an interview with a wrestler also, while I was doing interviews with like Leonardo DiCaprio and Denzel Washington and Oprah and The Rock and so on and so on. Did you ever get any pushback from any of the places you worked? Like, eh, maybe maybe don't interview wrestlers or lean away from it at all? I never got pushback like, don't do it. Because when you're doing local entertainment news, there's only so much you can do in a day. And when, when an event like that's coming to the local arena, like... I think of when I lived in Cleveland, when an event like that's coming to the Quicken Loans Arena, that's a pretty big deal. Like, let's cover that. In the same way that I would cover like Disney on Ice, I would always do segments with them or I'd always do segments with Monster Jam. But there was a point in Cleveland when my news director said to me like, hey, we've done a lot of wrestling recently. And he was right. It was like three interviews in the last six months on TV. And he's like, you know, maybe we just hold off on the wrestling for a little while. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'll approach this again three months from now or six months from now. And did you? Like, how, how was the follow-up? I think it was just like we missed out on one house yeah. show or something. But then, like, when they came back for Raw, I think it was, we're just right back in there. Like, it was cool to me. And I also kind of realized during that time that I would do these longer, like, longer interviews. They, they seemed long at the time. They're not long at all now. But 10, 15 minutes with, I'm trying to think <laughs> of some really early ones, Mick Foley when he was with Impact, Jeff Hardy when he was with Impact, Jeff Jarrett and Eric Young at the same time, okay. right when Impact Wrestling was going by Impact Wrestling and not TNA, and they'd gotten rid of the six-sided ring. And I was there right in front of the guy being like, hey, so what happened to the six-sided ring? Did you just show up one day and it wasn't <laughs> there? So I was doing these 10 to 15-minute interviews asking questions that I just genuinely cared about. As a fan, we would run, you know, the 20, 30 second soundbite on TV, but I was kind of realizing with the way that the broadcast model is, unless you're watching channel 19 at exactly 4.17 PM on that yeah. Wednesday, you'd never see it. So I just started taking these raw uncut interviews, putting them on my YouTube channel, just kind of as a place for them to live, like a digital library, if you will. And a few of them just started getting picked up by people on Reddit or people were embedding them in wrestling news sites. And 
it really started to make me think differently about how I approach these interviews. So I was going to ask you about that. Like, were there any like clearances you had to go through? Because you are going to a lot of these things on behalf of these news news outlets. But quite frankly, once they run, they they don't have use for them. They're not. They weren't uploading them to YouTube at the time. They weren't. A lot of places don't house them on their websites or anything like that. They would run them, and then that would be it. Did you have to go through individual clearances at each place? Did you have any pushback from that? Any any like legal or copyright issues that that you faced there? This was in the early days of YouTube. Like this was 2011 when I started my channel. So I don't think they looked at YouTube as any different than posting that on your Facebook page or posting that on your Twitter because Instagram wasn't even really a thing at that time. So nobody really was talking about it. And then one of my colleagues was like, oh, did you know that you can make money from those interviews? And I went, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, YouTube has this thing called AdSense and you can make a little bit of money. Like you're not going to get rich off of it, but there's some money to be made there. And I went, hold on, how, what, what is this? He goes, yeah, you just go in, you click this button, you fill out a form and all of a sudden you're going to start to get paid. And I went, I, I'm blown away by this. And it was a few hundred bucks here and there, but I think I was just kind of doing this as like, I wanted other wrestling fans to appreciate the questions that I was asking because this is 10 years ago. No one was really asking those types of questions. There were shoot interviews at that time. I was not interested in doing any sort of shooting. I was just genuinely curious and wanted to know the answers. And the way that I've always looked at that is I had mentioned this in my interview with you. There are some people that are like, oh, why are you posting this? Is this news? And I'm like, if I find it interesting, somebody Mm -hmm. else will find it interesting. And that was one of the things that gave you a lot of credibility in my eyes as I was a young wrestling news writer and I was looking for news. I was like, this guy is a T looks like a, a TV star. You're, you're a handsome fella. You're holding wow. a microphone. And I expected you to be like, oh, how's that travel? Those, those bumps are, are really rough, huh? And it wasn't. It was you asking introspective, interesting questions to these wrestlers that a lot of people, a lot of podcasts couldn't get away with asking, too. And I was just, I was doing this not just with wrestlers. I was doing this with any interview that I yeah. was doing. And Again, to kind of piggyback off of what you were saying, if it was interesting to me, I just assumed it would be interesting to other people. And I was realizing with interviews, like I was doing a lot of interviews with the Twilight Saga that was big at the (laughs) time, Hunger Games that was big at the time. And they're used to kind of answering questions in the same way. They're used to giving like, you know, their stock answers. And I was realizing in the comments that little things they would do in the interview, like little glances or little like words they would use would be the things that fans would really pick up on. Mm -hmm. So I did this interview with Benedict Cumberbatch and there was a meme where Benedict Cumberbatch (laughs) looks like an otter. You should look, you can look this up. (laughs) I'm going to look at it right now. (laughs) He looks like an otter. So I asked him about it and it was the first time someone had ever asked him about it. And I'm like, well, if I find this interesting, Benedict Cumberbatch fans will also find this interesting. Did you pull it up? I just looked it up. Yeah. (laughs) So so it was just little things like that where I'm like, how can I think outside of the box? Because most of these celebrity interviews we were doing are what they call a junkin interview. Yes. Instead of taking the star of the movie and flying them to all of the different cities, they fly all of the journalists into one city and do all the interviews in a day or two. So 
40, 50, 60 interviews in a day, and they're like four minutes long. So they sit in one chair, and every four minutes, someone else rotates in and out. And I was trying to do whatever I could to make those interviews as different as possible and make myself stand out. When you're at those junkets, because I've never done like mainstream entertainment stuff like that. I've done WWE stuff, AEW stuff. It's only wrestling stuff and Comic-Con stuff. Do you bring your own equipment or do they like film it and then send it to you? How does that work? Oh, this is, this is a full service thing. They take care of everything. Oh, that's incredible. So they've got an entire crew nice. there. It's, it's, it's great. It's often <laughs> a company called Junket Productions who is okay. just so, so good at what they do. But they fly you in. They put you up at a very nice hotel. They give you money within the hotel to spend on food or drinks. Because it doesn't have a microwave or a fridge in it. <laughs> of course not. No. <laughs> And then you, it's it's quite an interesting it's quite an interesting thing when you do it for the first time because you sit in a hallway outside of a hotel room door that has the name of the person that you're going to be interviewing on it. Oh, you're lined wow. up there. They're like, "Okay, Sean, you're going to be fourth. You're up after uh, Kevin and Jake." And you're like, "Okay, cool." So you're kind of like, "Okay, so that's four people. I'm I'm up in 16 minutes. Okay, great." And then you're all sitting there like waiting for the interview. And then the big star will walk down the hallway of the hotel with their makeup artist and their publicist and maybe security if it's someone really big. And you're kind of like, oh, there's the rock on. And, and then you kind of sit there and you're like, okay, this is happening. It's happening in 16 minutes. Then one person goes in. This is happening in 12 minutes. Now this is happening in eight minutes. Now I'm next. And that's kind of how that all works. And then when you leave there, they give you an envelope full of your media cards and you're good to go. So um, I, I, I do a lot of WWE junkets. You do primarily long form WWE or pro wrestling interviews at this point. You have done the junket style, the red carpet style in the past. Like what has encouraged you to do less of the, the junket red carpet stuff in the pro wrestling sense? I'd probably be doing more of that if it existed like you know the last year and a half has been strange just in terms yeah. of how things get covered and the silver lining is we the pandemic happened at a time where we can connect to each other like we are right now through a yeah. zoom window or whatever you want to be using but i want to i want to dive in deep i want to have like deep conversations with someone and the cool thing about a red carpet is the energy on a red carpet is exciting there's thousands of screaming fans and the, the energy is there and the anticipation for the event or the movie that they're going to watch. I love all of that, but you can't have a real deep conversation with somebody. And that's not to say I wouldn't do that, but I love being able to dive in 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour into somebody's backstory selfishly because I want to know like how they got to where they're at. Like they're, they're the best for a reason. And I think that too often in life we see just the finished product. And I don't think that we see the stumbles along the way. So I like to be able to go like, yeah, yeah, but who were you before this happened? Or what was the first break that really led you there? Or when did you start to doubt yourself? I love hearing that stuff because it humanizes that person and also makes us realize, oh, if they struggled and I'm currently struggling, that's okay. That's part of the process. And uh, along the way, again, you've done tons of stuff across entertainment and wrestling. Most viewed video right now on your channel, Donald Glover, like 8 million last time I looked. As that's climbing and that's accelerating, what's going through your mind? 
So he was doing press for that movie Solo, which is a, a great movie. I also got to interview Ron Howard that day. And his video for This Is America had just come out. And great video. One of my favorites. It's, it's a piece of art. Yeah. And sometimes the studio or a publicist will say like, hey, let's stick to the movie. Or they might say with Angelina Jolie, no personal questions. And you just kind of go, oh, I know what they're saying here. Okay, yes. great. There was no guidance for this Donald Glover one. And there was a lot of controversy, if you recall, when that video first came out. Yeah. And I went, well, if they haven't told us to not ask about it, I'm going to ask about it. And also, like, we're promoting Solo at the same time. Like, the, you know, the word will be on the screen there the entire time. So I just want to ask him. And I asked him, like, would you explain this? And he basically said, no. No, like, <laughs> it speaks for itself. And his answer is brilliant, right? Like, the Childish Gambino video does speak for itself, and you can interpret this however you want. It's art. And after that, I mean, it wasn't a huge answer. It wasn't a great answer. But after the interview wrapped up, I went, oh, that's going to be news. And I remember as soon as I got the cards that I just spoke about, I went back to the area where they had like the food set up. I grabbed my laptop and I started encoding these interviews, started editing the interviews on the spot. And I had this interview uploaded and on my YouTube channel before I was even in the Uber to go to the airport later that day to take a red eye to fly back to Miami. And I think by the time I got to the airport, it already had like 30,000 views, like Amazing. in an hour or something. And then by the time I boarded the flight, it was already in the hundreds of thousands. And then by the time I landed five hours later in Miami, it was in the multiple hundreds of thousands of views. And I went, oh, yeah, That's like this gonna is going to work. It's going to work. And a couple of other clips that did huge for you were the Dakota Johnson, Leslie Mann one, and then the Anne Hathaway one, which are more playful and fun than just like, this person said this. It's you seeing their unique senses of humor as opposed to they're answering this question about this movie at a junket. And I think that people always point to like the Dakota Johnson and Leslie Mann interview of like, oh, they were hitting on you. Like, yeah, we were, we were having a lot of fun and by no means was I ever uncomfortable. It was a great yeah. time. I thought the interview was going to do well because Dakota Johnson's relatively reserved and- yeah kind of boring sometimes in interviews. Yeah. And all of my friends who had interviewed her that day, they were like, I remember my friend specifically walking out of that room before me and being like, like, good luck with that. Like, you're not going to get anything from this. And I went in just with a positive attitude and a lot of energy and, you know, went the way that it did. I thought it was going to be a, 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 like a, I thought people were going to watch this interview because she showed some personality. Sure. I didn't realize it was going to turn into what it ended up turning into. Plus, you knew it was going to do good traffic because Judd Apatow was about to kick your ass. For Leslie <laughs> when Mann. Judd Apatow tweeted me about did that. I, I, so I never saw that. What did he Judd say? Judd Apatow like, basically tweeted that we should have a foursome. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Had you ever talked to Judd Apatow before? No, and I still haven't talked to him. Wow, doesn't follow through. He ghosted you. Judd Apatow ghosted wow. Chris Van Vliet. There's your headline. Wow. That's that's going to be my clip. It's going to outdo it's going to outdo the 2.6 million that yours did now. But Dakota Johnson did apologize for it, which I thought was really interesting cuz at no point was I ever uncomfortable or uneasy, but I interviewed her maybe a yearish later for a movie called Bad Times at the El Royale. We went to this beautiful oh, so hotel. Good. Yeah, we went to this beautiful hotel in Lake Tahoe and I walked in and she kind of went Oh, 
are you the guy that Leslie Mann and I hit on? And I said, yeah, but that was fun. Like, that was great. And then as soon as the camera started rolling, she's like, I would like to formally apologize for that. Like, on behalf of Leslie Mann and I, we are sorry. And I'm like, ah, it's all good. That was fun. That is, uh, wow. And I guess at that point, you kind of got to, you got to, like, just in case in in the the environment yeah, or i feel like though if i had interviewed leslie mann right after that she might have been like hey you like you want some more i don't know yeah different different personalities and senses of humor and all that stuff uh, for sure uh your, your most viewed wrestling interview is the big show on the scene by some by some beautiful water in florida and I remember that was that was one of the interviews. Like at that point, the Big Show didn't do a lot of interviews. Paul White, um, and that was one where he was you. He gave you some time. It was about fifteen twenty minutes. You got some really good questions in. How did that come together? Was that like spur of the moment or something? Was that in conjunction with something else? I mean. I, the view so, was beautiful too. Well, first of all, that's the parking lot for my old TV station, WSB. Really? Yeah. They've got waterfront parking lot. On there's it's on, basically on a little island. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, it's beautiful. I had a view from my office window that was the Biscayne Bay, which was beautiful. So, we started using that as a an interview, like a casual interview spot. But WWE reached out to me because they had just announced that WrestleMania was going to be in Orlando. Mm -hmm. And they figured Miami would be a good market to do press in because it's about a three-hour drive to Orlando. So they said, the big show's doing an interview, like doing press. Do you want to do it? I said, yeah, of course. Like, for sure. We got almost 20 minutes, did the interview, and it started getting some pretty good traction. I think it was up to like 100 or 200,000 views. And... I don't know what happened, but I woke up one day and the interview had like a copyright strike on it and was taken down. Oh, no. And I'm like, this doesn't even make sense. Like, what happened here? So I had to re-upload the video. And I'm like, oh, man, like all the traction that I had with this interview is now gone. It's going to go from the 150,000 views that we had to like 150 views. Yeah. And I re-uploaded it and... It was chugging along like a thousand views, two thousand views, and then one day it just popped, and then it just continued to pop, and it was getting like five thousand views a day for like man, months. And I don't know specifically what it was. People really liked that part where I asked him who the strongest person was. And yeah, I think everyone assumed it would be Brock, and he interrupts my question to go, John Cena. John Cena. <laughs> and I think that people were like, it was so weird. If you look at the comments on that video, people are like, no way it's John Cena. Like it's clearly Brock Lesnar. It's like, if the man who's yeah. been in the ring with all of these people is telling you who it is, maybe we should take his word for it. How does WWE view you now or what's your relationship with WWE? Because now that you're, you're doing things a little bit differently, like, I can tell you sometimes it's easy to get interviews through them. Sometimes it's impossible to. It was definitely very easy when I was with, and I, if I go through my career path here, it was MTV2 Canada, so the, uh, pretty easy there. Then it was Sun TV in Toronto. Whenever they were in town, they would line yeah. up somebody. Then it was CBS, the CBS affiliate in Cleveland, again, pretty easy. And then WSVN, uh, the Fox affiliate in Miami, again, pretty easy. And I think that as I was in Miami and I was trying to do stuff for my own channel or trying to do stuff for my podcast, they were basically like, yeah, yeah, but where else is it going to air? We want to get the biggest bang for our buck here. And I can't remember who it was that said it, but 
another wrestling personality was basically saying a wrestling journalist was saying if you don't have call letters it's really difficult yes to yeah to get coverage with wwe and i can agree with that and and i understand where they're coming from they want to get they want to appeal to the mainstream and i understand that so i had an xavier woods interview that was set up recently by wwe but it's not that easy and smackdown is in la this friday and i'm seeing what i can do to try yeah. to make something happen, but it's an it's a really interesting situation. They've because... relaxed it a lot with me personally. Like I, I agree with the call letters. Like if you start up W T U R D the turd, you're more likely to get it <laughs> than like anything. It's it was so weird. And I think that a lot of the people that were there were used to well, this is going to get aggregated because it always does. But now there's so many wrestling interviews, those don't get aggregated because the people there are like, wow, Sasha, look at your arms. You're jacked. We're not writing articles about that. We're writing articles about Chris Van Vliet finding out interesting stories. More than we are, this person was on a CBS, NBC affiliate and said, come to the show this weekend. Yeah, but I can understand where they're coming from. And I this do. is why Sports Illustrated keeps getting these really big scoops with WWE yes. superstars because it's Sports Illustrated. Yes. But it is, yeah, I, I understand. They, they want the mainstream ABC, CBS, Fox because that's not, you know, no disrespect to any of the wrestling websites, but it's reaching someone who might become a new fan or perhaps a lapsed fan exactly. who's going to come back, you know. Uh, Fightful's amazing, but you probably have to be a wrestling fan to want to go to Fightful.com. Exactly. And we one of the conversations I had with a person in WWE around a Kofi Kingston interview last year, we didn't ask a ton about this that year's WrestleMania because, one, the match was changing. His match was specifically getting changed between then. And the person said to me, well, everybody else knows that or everybody on your site knows that WrestleMania is this weekend. All these other radio stations don't. And I said, I know. That's why I didn't ask him <laughs> about this WrestleMania. We can plug it within the interview. Uh, it, to me, I think that the view of media as a whole and journalism as a whole has to expand because wrestling's different and media is always changing. Whether people think that's evolving or devolving, that's up to them. But it's just, it's different and like you might do something or ha hear something from an interview that you do and Yahoo picks it up. Like yeah. Yahoo aggregates it. Like you never yeah. know what will hit. Yeah. I think that like I listen to a podcast called the Ed Milette show. It's one of the podcasts I love listening to. And he's had Seth Rollins and Natty and Stephanie McMahon on there. And, sure. and they're just talking about like business and life. And I'm like, yes, like <laughs> I want to aspire to that. Cause as you know, I'm not just interviewing wrestlers. I'm interviewing yeah. people from all walks of life. I just had a former FBI negotiator on the show recently and an astrophysicist on the show recently. So I want to get to a point where I'm not going to have you on the show. So I'm digging for some sort of dirt. I'm just on the, sh I want to have you on the show so I can pick your brain. I want to dig for dirt, bury somebody here. Chris, <laughs> who do you hate? Who do you loathe? Man. I don't Denise Salcedo, I agree. Oh, yes, I agree. of course. Mm. Just She's horrible. The worst. Horrible. What a diva. Uh, but when when you and I when you and I went off on the tangents. <laughs> <laughs> it was so fun and so funny. 
like those were on Quizzlemania for those of you who who didn't watch it. There are people, honest to God, that think that like stuff like that is not a bit on the show, <laughs> and they think like that's how I really am. And I'm always like, oh God! And if they don't get it, I can't possibly explain it to them. I can't possibly explain to them. I'm not really like this in in real life. Like it's it's a joke. It's fun. It's that weird thing of it's entertainment, but it's a show with me on it. Like oh man, I tried Those my best to like not have a character. Yeah, I well, just tried my best to like be the best version of myself, like the most amped up, energetic version of myself, but not to like play a character because i'm not i'm not yes. i'm not a character i'm not a wrestler i went to wrestling school for a few months but i'm not a wrestler yeah unless i'm on an entertainment program i don't want to do a character thing like i might do a bit for my show but yeah. it's completely separate but on Quizlemania, i specifically wanted to act different every single time like which was so much fun and so it entertaining blast. it was a blast it was it was a whole lot of fun um, I'll tell you what's probably not a lot of fun, getting the absolute shit chopped out of you repeatedly, uh, or getting DDT'd by Gangrel, <laughs> in which I reached out to you for uh, making a finisher story for a feature that I did for him. You got hoisted up by Goldberg in a jackhammer. Now, you you have trained as a wrestler for a couple months, so you do have a, a general understanding of this stuff, and truly, unless you've trained, it's it's hard to grasp how how important that is. Are there any that I've missed? Are there any other moves that you've taken outside of those three that 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 I missed? I gave a rock bottom at an independent oh, who, wrestling show oh, in yes, Cleveland. You did. Yeah. Who'd you I give that chair to? Do you shot. remember? What's that? Do you remember who you gave it to? I gave it to Nikki Valentino. Okay. It was a match between Nikki Valentino and Josh Prohibition. That's, and it, that's why I remembered the match. Josh Prohibition. I interviewed him. He's great. Both of those guys are great. So I was, I was a ring announcer for, for prime wrestling and I was sitting ringside and Nikki Valentino came and this is what's crazy. I can even say this out loud. I was the ring announcer for their main event and it was Johnny Gargano versus Jimmy Jacobs in the main event. This is 2013, right? So I'm sitting ringside and Nikki Valentino was Jimmy Jacobs, like lackey at the time. Yeah. And he wanted to help Jimmy win this match. So he comes over and grabs the chair that I was sitting on. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you can't have this chair. And we're fighting over the chair. He ends up throwing it at my head. So I take a chair shot. And then it led to this like year long buildup of Nikki Valentino went on a losing streak and blamed it all on me. I blamed it. it all on that moment and wanted to have a match with me. And I'm like, I'm not going to give you this. I'm not going to have a match yeah. with you. You don't deserve a match with me. But I'm going to give you a match with somebody who I'd like to call a friend, someone who's very close to me. And it was Josh Prohibition's return after several years of not wrestling. And then at the end of the match, I give the rock bottom to Nikki Valentino. But yesterday, when I interviewed Jay White at the New Japan Dojo in Los Angeles, they have the ring there. Oh. And I'm like, would... Would it be okay if I got in? Because I can't be near a ring now. And you know this from training. You just want to kind of just, just want to feel the You always want to do something. I want to buy a ring so bad. Well, I, like, I know I'll get into it once every two or three weeks, but I'm like, I just, I just want to. Did you fully train? Yeah. Yeah. Like you've had matches, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've had about 50, 60 matches, I think. Oh, that's a lot. I've, yeah. scrubbed, I've scrubbed most of them from the internet, but <laughs> I, I don't work a lot anymore. I haven't worked since before the pandemic, and then when I did, it was under a mask and, like, maybe three people. The, people, the person I was working, the promoter, and one person close to me knew 
what those were, and only one mm. of them is online, and I got some positive interaction. So one day I'll, I'll like put that out there and do something with it. But once once you get in a ring, if you like it, you you have to do something. Like you train, yeah, so you, you take a move, you do something. Yesterday at the dojo, I ran the ropes. I took a bump, and then Jay White was standing across from the ring. I'm like, let's lock it up. He's like, you know how to lock up? I'm like, yeah. So I've done that a few times. I remember I told Jeff Hardy year, 10 years ago during our interview that I trained at one point in time. At the end of the interview – he goes, well, let's lock it up. And we were standing in front of a chain link fence. And I'm like, like, does he mean like lock up the fence? He's like, no, no, no. Like, let's lock it up. And I'm like, oh, okay. Then you powered him into the fence. Yeah, that's right. And then you were like. But I've, hey. I've locked up with Christopher Daniels after an interview. Ooh, Jeff he's Hardy. Got a, he's got a good lockup too. Damn right he does. So I know I don't think I've done off the top of my head. I think that's. That's it. Those are the moments. So I came across that clip, I'm pretty sure, when I, I went to Cleveland and I interviewed Josh Prohibition on the scene. And I grew up as a Josh Prohibition fan because I saw him in Backyard Wrestling, the video game. Yeah. Him and Matt, Matt Cross. Cross. Yes. So I was like, you know what? Let me let me do my due diligence. Let me research him. Let me type him into YouTube. And he had taken years off because he was a teacher and they didn't want him to wrestle for a long time. Then just casually, they're like, oh, yeah, you can wrestle. So I saw that, and I was like, oh, my God, it's Chris. <laughs> I was yeah, flipping that out. full match is up there. I'm sure it's not my finest work, but that <gasps> full match is up there. So it, when you have asked anybody about this, whether it be Jay White, Gangrel, uh, Breeze, um, Sean Spears, Goldberg, we see on screen they seem pretty willing to do it and participate. We saw Gangrel's reaction, the, you okay, man? Like, is, is there any of that, or do they pretty well know, all right, he seems to be all right with this. He knows what he's doing. He's a big boy. Well, what you didn't see with Gangrel was we spent two hours in there. It was in Gangrel's Wrestling Asylum in Dania Beach, Florida, and I was doing a segment with my co-host, Lynn Martinez, mm. and she was going to learn how to wrestle. So we taught her, like, how to lock up and how to take a bump all very quickly, and we put together, like, a little segment of all that. And it was a ton of fun, and the viewers loved it. And then at the end, I said to Gangrel, like, I'm here with you. And I'd known Gangrel for years at that point. I said, I'm here with you. It'd be an honor if I could take your finish. He's like, oh, you think you could? I'm like, oh, yeah, I've taken DDTs before. And I just jumped too high. Like we talked about, you know, when you asked me about it. I just jumped too high on it, and I then ended up literally impaling myself on the impaler <laughs> DDT. You're supposed to, it's supposed to be more of a front bump. It's supposed to be more sure. on, like, your chest. And I bumped and like took it right on my head like RVD style. You, you jump and pancake flat, right? Yes. Okay. And I didn't, I didn't flatten myself out. I just jumped and I was just like a dart going in, like a lawn dart going into the ground. Let me tell you about one of the most humbling experiences in interacting with a wrestler. So I grew up a big brood fan. You know, the scary vampires. And then Gangrel is texting me smiley face emojis. <laughs> He's a he's a big he's emoji the guy. Best. He is such a kind, nice man. He is. I had to reach out to him to debunk a rumor that he was dead last year. I said, and I hadn't talked to him in a while, and I said, "Hey, buddy, don't know if you remember me, Sean Ross Sapp. Are you alive? This is pretty important. Wow. People think you're dead." And he was like, "Still, still fanging and banging, brother." That's what he does. <laughs> I will say the Goldberg thing. Goldberg putting me up in the jackhammer was by far the coolest. Because it's not an easy move to pull off. 
So there, there are like those people, like if you're playing basketball against them, football against them, wrestling them, fighting them. Like, but when they even get near you, you can sort of feel their athleticism. You know what I mean? Like, there are certain people that, like Darius Miller, who went on to be an NBA player. I played pickup against him, and I could feel him rebounding the ball before he left the ground type of thing. <laughs> Goldberg's a strong dude. Like, when he yeah. first hoists you up, like, was that in your mind? Like, he might heave me this way, like, not even, like, intending to. Like, there's that, that oh. strength. I weigh like 185. I knew there was going to be no trouble getting me up. Also, I knew well, how to take. Well, that's the thing. He's supplies. used to lifting like 250, 260 pound people. He doesn't jackhammer a lot of 185ers. I, I know how to take, uh, or at least I think I know how to take a vertical suplex. So it's just a matter of me posting up. But you can yeah. hear in the interview, as he's putting me into, he goes, just make sure to keep your legs together. Yeah. And he puts me up and my legs were like spread out. And as he has me up, he goes, put your legs together. And you see them like scissors close during the video. Yeah. So the first vertical suplex I ever took, I forgot to post up. The, the spot was this guy was going to suplex me like seven times in a row. And I forgot to post up, but he was so strong. It just didn't matter. And he just threw me. But posting up is the difference in getting vertical and just yeah. you're up and you're down. The interesting thing about this entire conversation is if you and I were to watch a football game on Sunday, we've likely thrown a football. Yeah. If we were to watch a basketball game tonight, we've likely dribbled a basketball and shot it. We've likely played catch for watching a baseball game. The really interesting thing is such a tiny percentage of people who watch wrestling and more importantly talk about wrestling don't even know what the mat feels like. And I find this so interesting that it's in all other aspects of sports, we have a pretty good grasp of how it feels, even if you're not Tom Brady or LeBron James. You've got a pretty good grasp of how the sport like feels. That's not the case in wrestling. I find that it so was, interesting. That was important to me. Like I didn't want to be talking about something that I didn't have at least some elementary fundamental understanding of. And then after I trained, I was like, God, I love this. This is a lot of fun. Don't want to do it for a living. Can't handle the travel. My body physically, after a fractured neck, can't handle doing that nonstop. But once it's in you, like, you love wrestling. And that's why I do what I do now. Like, I love to learn more about wrestling from people who know the most about it. And then yeah. tell everybody, hey, this is what I learned. Yeah. And I think that's pretty cool. Well, yeah, also, think... go ahead. Oh, sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. I just think that I think the really interesting thing about sports in general is you're never done learning. No. And you'll you'll talk to someone like Chris Jericho or Christopher Daniels who have been in this 30 years and they're still figuring stuff out every single match. And that's the beauty of it. There's always something to learn. You can learn from anybody. You can learn yes. from somebody who's never taken a bump, too. Well, uh you got the absolute shit chopped out of you. Let's talk about that. So oh I God. had done, I did the first interview with Sean Spears after he left WWE mm -hmm. and I didn't know that he was going to sign with AEW. So we did the interview. I was actually doing an interview for the latest toy story movie. And I was staying at like a Disney resorts hotel. And I reached out to him through a mutual friend and he ended up coming to my hotel room. We did that interview and he goes, well, you're welcome at flatbacks anytime. And I'm like, I would love to come and do something with you guys. I'll reach out to you. Six months later, I said, um, let's do it. I'm going to come down. Yeah. I want to take a few bumps. I want to lock it up. And he goes, yeah, yeah, sounds good. And how about, uh, how about I give you a chop? And oh, I'm like, boy. 
I'm like, okay, like, sure. I'll take a chop, like one chop's fine. I said, why don't we make it a little bit more interesting though? Why don't we have all of your students chop me? He goes, oh, are you sure? Eight students plus Breeze and plus Spears, so 10 people. I'm like, yeah, I, I could take 10 chops. And he goes, oh yeah, by the way, we each get two chops Ooh. each. And then you see in the videos, like, take off your shirt and get in the corner. And then it just began. And I, I really, I enjoyed that despite what like the look on my face was. And despite the, you gotta play red, it up. gotta play that. Right. And the red purpleness of my chest. I really enjoyed that. And it was so cool to be like in there with those guys. And it also makes you realize like they, he had a lot of very, or both of them had a lot of very talented students there, Yes, but it also makes you realize the arbitrage between someone who's starting out and someone who's been in the business for 20 years, like those guys. So a couple questions related to that any permanent scarring on your chest and two who hit you the hardest no permanent scarring and the the one that sounded the worst and felt the worst was the second no first one that breeze gave me okay and it's funny because sean spears was like you know not maybe maybe not known for it but i'm a pretty good chopper like he was really talking it up and i'm like oh damn like what have i got myself into and breeze right before his goes yeah i'm not really much of a chopper and then he delivers like a gunshot to my chest, but no permanent damage. But that night when I took that thumbnail photo was the peak of like of the injury, if you will, or the peak of how bad it looked. Then it, it went from that purplish red to kind of like pink. Then it went to just bruising like yellow and brown. And I had the bruising for like six, six ish weeks, six days, sorry, six weeks, six days. And, then I was fine. I think my chest is still good, except I just have this handprint in the middle of it at all times. It's just very weird. <laughs> so uh, I don't know how many people, how many of our audience know this. You, you've moved around a lot, Toronto, Florida, my neck of the woods, Kentucky of all places, uh, which is more like Cincinnati, uh, but uh, then to California, like where else have you lived? I have lived in a lot of places, which is funny because... I lived in the same house growing up till I went away to college. And my parents still live in this house. They That's bought incredible. this house before I was even born. <clears throat> the legendary Dirk. What's that? The legendary Dirk. Dirk. Dirk Van Vliet and Helen Van Vliet, who Helen just celebrated their 47th wedding anniversary. Congratulations the to them. Amazing. 47 years. Yeah. So in a nutshell, it was I went away to college. So that was Waterloo, Ontario. You went to college in a nutshell. That's amazing. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. Wilfrid Laurier University, Waterloo, Ontario. Then it was back to my parents in Pickering. Had a job in Peterborough, which is the hometown of Bobby Roode. Then it was into the actual downtown city of Toronto. Lived in a few different places in Toronto. Then it was Vancouver. Then it was back to Toronto, Cleveland, Miami. Bought a house in Fort Lauderdale. Was in the Cincinnati area, like you mentioned. I was in yeah. Cold Spring, Kentucky. They, they, they just think of excuses. They just think of it. Sorry to interrupt you. They think of excuses to develop new suburbs on the Kentucky end of Cincinnati. Like you'll just, you'll drive up there and you're like, is this a new city? Like all yeah, the time. But we were five minutes from Cincinnati. Yeah. But in a completely different state. state. The yeah. Cincinnati airport, a lot of people don't know, is in Kentucky. <laughs> so it's, weird. It's it's amazing. And now you're in California. And now I'm in California with your good buddy Denise. Oh, boy. I'm sorry about that. Um, you went You went from living near me 
to living near Denise. And as we pointed out, like you and Denise geographically, probably like five, 10 miles away from each other. Yeah. I could probably have driven to you, uh, 65 miles quicker. Yeah. If I were to drive and it's noon here right now, if I were to drive to Denise's right now, it'd probably take an hour. Woo. Yeah. I could zoom up the double a highway in 50 minutes and have gotten the to double you. a the Arn Anderson highway, the Arn Anderson. I, I'm going to do a big spine buster on those cops that hang out there right by that road in the speed trap driving 85. I'm ready to go, but <laughs> you're, you're in LA. Um, what, what does that do for your interview game? I noticed that you could, you're, it seems like you're able to get some more in-person interviews. You got, you got people that are there for media, people that are there for conventions, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. So this is definitely a destination, right? Like people come to LA if you work in the entertainment industry. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to be out here because stuff just happens here, right? Like stuff happens in LA. Movie premieres happen here. Movies are filmed here. And this is a big press stop for people that are coming and promoting whatever it is that they're promoting. Plus a lot of people, like a lot of the interviews that I've done, they live in the area, like comedian Brad Williams, or I just had Fred Rosser over here the other day for an interview. So it's just, you situate yourself in a place where a lot of people are. And I also think that there's just a perception, especially in the world of entertainment news, where when you're in LA, you're, you're in it, you're with it, right? It's the difference between like, watching a pay-per-view on TV and being there. Like, yeah, you, you both experienced it, but it's different when you're closer to it. And I felt like when I was in Cleveland, it was kind of like, oh, cool. That's cool that you cover entertainment news. That's cool that you cover celebrities, celebrity news and interview celebrities, but you're not where it happens. You're kind of, you're one step removed from it. So being here, you're now in it. And I think that that's been a big part of it. Speaking of in it, uh, last year you revealed you're going to be in a video game, the Wrestling yeah. Code Virtual Basement. Uh, now I know that they they have said last year was about putting the roster together. This year was about motion capture. Next year is going to be gameplay. It is a very slow process, but but what was your process there? I am going to be the ring announcer, so I've got a lot of names, weights, hometowns, all kinds of stuff that I'm going to read. We haven't started recording yet. I think yeah. that they're worrying about the nuts and bolts of all of this. Yeah, but they did do a render of what my character is going to look like. And like, they sent it to me and I went, man, okay. Like, that's, that's pretty cool. So LSG told me that they sent him a naked version of himself. <laughs> so did that what? happen with you? Yes. They said, he told me, he was like, he's like, man, they sent me a naked version of myself. And I was like, how'd you get my butt? Right. <laughs> <laughs> was he like a Ken doll? I don't like, know. I, I didn't, you know I what I mean? That, I wasn't that inquisitive. No, I was wearing a full suit during the photo, so they actually just took the suit I was wearing and the tie I was wearing, and that's my render. I would, I would find it very strange if they needed a naked version of the ring announcer for some reason. <laughs> you never know. You never know. You could be a part of somebody's fan fiction. You know, you happen. <sighs> That'd be very strange. Oh man, uh, well I'm very excited for that game. I'm excited to see that you're a part of it as well. Uh, some some other like sort of questions unrelated to to that that I kind of wanted to get to. Have you ever had a trash fire interview that you knew was a trash fire? And you said, this is never making air, or Mm. should I air this? Hmm. Yes. There's nothing that pops up off the top of my head where I was like, that was 
yeah. awful, but there's definitely ones where I'm like, this is, this is not our best work. Cause it takes two to tangle, right? Like, yeah. I'm putting my best foot forward, but if they're not meeting me halfway, then it's, you know, it's not good for either of us, but there's definitely been interviews and it's, and you know what it's like, like when, when you're being recorded, when you know, you have a mic either in front of your face or, you know, clipped onto you if it's in person and you know, there's a camera in front of you, usually people are putting their best foot forward because they know that it's going to be out there for the world to see. So I haven't had any where I'm like, this is awful and never seen the light of day. I've had some where I've had a technical problem and the interview doesn't end up getting put out there. And it's like devastating and heartbreaking. I did a great interview with Kevin Nash and realized that we had no audio. Oh, 75 minutes with Dan Severn for me one time, no audio. Him talking about his 1968 amateur wrestling stuff. And I was like, oh boy. Uh, Then I did another one. This was an MJF unhooked my mic as a joke and it didn't get hooked back up. Oh, the person before I interviewed the inspiration recently turned off my mic. I leave them on all the time. That way I can just turn on task cam and run. They switched it off and I had to wow. like pull a lot of tricks to, to salvage. Well, uh, you've got to move away from task cam over to uh, zoom. I learned that the hard way. Yeah, I did. it, And you can actually see my interview with Luchasaurus. I was using the task cam recorder halfway through. It just decided to power off. Yeah. So the first half of the interview, I got on Tascam because of you. Well, then I learned. Actually, I have it in front of me for some strange reason. I have no idea why this is on my desk. This. Oh, man. Zoom H4n is so much of a better device. It was, But I, got, I bought the Tascam because it was like half the price. I'm like, oh, they do yeah. the same thing. No, they don't. No. Okay. Well, There's I'm going to no switch. This one. I'm going to switch to that. I'm, I'm for sure. In fact, in the wrap up to the Luchasaurus interview, I called it the trash cam. I remember Take that. I remember that. That was good stuff. Uh, now, I know you say it's cliche. What do you think was your best interview? It's so difficult because, you know, it's like a parent picking their favorite child. The one I just did with you. <laughs> that was definitely it. That was it. <laughs> Which everyone can check out on my on my channel. Donald Glover can suck it. I'm breaking these records. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be The Rock. And it's The Rock for so many reasons. And... Like The Rock meant so much to me growing up. I really became passionate about wrestling during the Attitude Era. So I would walk around my high school asking people questions just so I could shout, it doesn't matter what you think, at them. It doesn't matter what you think. I had to, you know, put a turn up there a little bit. So The Rock was at the top of my bucket list when I started doing entertainment news. And I knew that it would be a possibility. I just didn't know when or how. And all of my friends were getting interviews with The Rock, you know, 07, 08, 09, 10, all the way up. I finally ended up getting The Rock in 2012, and it was backstage at Raw. So not only did I get The Rock in person, but I got The Rock in his element, in the element that I, like, grew up watching him in. So, look, they always say you shouldn't meet your heroes, but if your hero is The Rock do whatever you can to meet your hero because he's kind, he's funny, he's he's self-aware, which is the biggest thing. He does this thing which is so rare with celebrities. He understands the position he's in. He knows that you're going to go tell your mom and your dad and your sister and your aunt that you interviewed Dwayne Johnson. And if it wasn't a good experience, he knows you're going to share that with them. 
he makes the moment so enjoyable and he goes out of his way to make the moment like about you. He'll put his hand on your shoulder or he'll point out something you're wearing. Or, oh, it looks like you've been working out. Like he'll do something to make you go, oh, wow, like this was a moment. <laughs> so it's The Rock and, you know, I joke about it all the time, but I'm so grateful that I've been able to interview The Rock once, let alone, you know, the nine times, not that I'm counting. Well, let's make this moment about you because I, I did my research before this, Chris. Uh -oh. And I happen to know that in 2007, on the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit, you caught 15 bass and won $983. <laughs> Was that on Lake Champlain? I, as if I would know. Wow. As if I would know. I know in 2017 in the Phoenix Bass Fishing League, you caught 10 bass. Which was uh, seems to be a good number. I don't Dang. know anything about fishing. In fact, in fact, the limit of what I know about fishing is what you told me mm. around Fightful Feast and and sort of your, your venture there. But you're a big fisherman. 2017 must have been one of the Lake Okeechobee tournaments that I did in Florida. I'm sure it was. <laughs> I'm I I love bass fishing, and if you haven't learned throughout the course of this conversation, when I'm passionate about something, I go all the way in on it. I. I don't check the depth of the water. I don't check the temperature of the waters. Dive all the way in and figure it out when I get in Even there. Even when you're fishing? Yeah, I definitely don't dive into fishing. That was more metaphorical, not okay. literal. <laughs> okay. Because, I mean, I, I listen, I've watched Naked and Afraid a few times, mm. and there was a guy who tried to catch a deer on foot one time because his bow broke. And I was like, is Chris Van Vliet diving in there? Is he no, literally diving in? Not naked. Well, but, hopefully, but not if Virtual Basement has anything to say about that. That's going to be bring, a mini game. Bringing it right back around here. That's going to be a mini game right there. I caught my first fish when I was four years old and pun intended was hooked. And oh. I just loved fishing and it became, it really took over my life. I was subscribed to all the fishing magazines. I would wake up early on Saturday morning back when it was a thing to watch fishing shows on Saturday morning. I watched them all. And when I was 14, I fished in my first bass tournament on Sturgeon Lake in Fenland Falls, Ontario. And it just became a part of who I was. In fact, so much a part of who I was that I was playing rep baseball, like travel baseball growing up. And I was also playing hockey. And kind of one summer realized like I'm fishing so much and have so many tournaments lined up that I'm not going to play baseball this year. That's pretty cool, though. I mean, like I, I'm a baseball was, lover, but that's rad. Fishing was my thing. And I was in tournaments with my best friend, Aaron Andrews, who's now my business partner in the fishing company that I have. We have a tungsten weight company for years without going too deep into this. No, for years, people tell were people using about it. They might, they might love this stuff. They might. Yeah. If you, if you bass fish, you know exactly what I'm talking about. People were using lead weights for the longest time to get your bait to sink down to the bottom. Mm -hmm. Lead's terrible for the environment and it can be very harmful to anything that might eat it like a duck or a fish. So it's been replaced now with tungsten, which is better for the environment and also like a denser metal that you can feel as it moves along the bottom. That was a very in-depth explanation to say that we have a fishing company called Woo Tungsten, W-O-O exclamation mark tungsten. And we sell all kinds of different tungsten products. But the tournaments that you've referenced here, it became a thing for me. So I was fishing in a lot of tournaments in Canada. And then once a year, me and usually my friend Aaron would either drive to upstate New York, we'd go to Plattsburgh and fish in tournaments on Lake Champlain, 
or when I was living in Florida, we would actually, there was some on Lake Erie when I was living in Cleveland. And then there was some, when I was living in Florida, Lake Okeechobee is one of the best bass fishing lakes in the world. I lived an hour from it. And there's just something, man, it's tough to explain. Fishing is kind of like pro wrestling where when you find out that someone loves it, it's like that moment in Step Brothers. Like, did we just become best friends? Yep. And, you know, I, I would like rhyme off like all these different pros that I've now become friends with or friendly with or I've fished with. It's a really cool thing. I will say the one downside to owning a fishing company is I spend a lot less time fishing now because I'm spending so much time working on the business. Of course. So I'll tell you my favorite thing about fishing in researching this, because I don't know anything about fishing. It's when you've got the pictures of somebody holding up two fish like that, mm -hmm. like it might as well be Steve Austin cracking a couple of beers. Yeah. Like I, I like to imagine they slam those fish together. They chuck it over there. Somebody catches it. Like it is, it is so cool looking and they've got like the gear with all their sponsors on it and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a, a huge element of education when it comes to bass fishing in the same way that there's like that education that's missing from like when someone doesn't watch pro wrestling, like, you know, instantly like, Oh, don't you know, it's fake in bass fishing is like, so you eat them all. Right. And it's like, well, actually we take a photo and release them. You let them all go. Yeah. Yeah. We let them go. So we can catch them again when they're bigger one day. Really? Wow. That's fascinating to me. I didn't know that. Yeah, there you go. So in Plus, a, it just makes financial sense. <laughs> right. If everyone kept their fish, there'd be no more fish for us to you know, catch. But in a bass tournament, it's, it's your five biggest bass. You keep them alive in your live well on the boat, which is circulating fresh water into it. And the fish stay alive in there. You weigh them in. It's the heaviest weight over the course of the tournament, whether it's one day, two day, three day, four day. And then the fish get released back into the lake. It's pretty rad. So as we as we wrap up, a couple more questions for you. Uh, you and I have spoken about you know how difficult or easy it is to get AEW interviews. I know that you did some work with them in the past. Did that affect your ability positively or negatively? It seemed like you had a pretty positive relationship with them for the the few shows you did. Or uh, I was, was it one show or a couple shows. Uh, two shows. Okay. And then also like the road too. I did like a like on their YouTube channel. Yeah. So I did three things with them, I guess. But leading up to all of those, like leading up to the first event, leading up to the first Dynamite, I was either friends or friends of friends with people who had signed there. Like Chris Jericho was the first mm -hmm. AEW interview that I did, the, the infamous backseat of the car interview that I did with him. Yeah. And then Jericho had Tony Khan on his podcast. And I reached out to Jericho and said, actually, no, I tweeted that I wanted to interview Tony Khan and I tagged him. And Jericho retweeted it. So I messaged Jericho and I said, like, hey, thank you for the retweet. But, like, do you think this is possible? And he's like, I don't know. I'll ask. Ended up getting an interview with Tony Khan. Ended up getting an interview with Cody, who I'd interviewed before with WWE and Ring of Honor. So I was interviewing a lot of the people who were the big players in AEW. Yeah. And this was before they had, like, the system set up where it was like, you need to ask someone for approval, and then you got approval, and then they set up a time. This was more of just, like, I was contacting people that I, that I knew. So it was the good old after days. Cody, I talked to the Young Bucks, and then after doing all of those interviews, they reached out to me and said, would you want to be part of the first episode? And I'm like, uh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I think that 
it was so cool, first of all, to be a tiny little minuscule part of that first episode of wrestling on TNT in almost 20 years. That was so cool to be able to do something with Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. And I thought that was it. Like they said, like, we just want you for this one show. Who knows what'll happen? That's kind of the way that wrestling works in general. And then they ended up calling me up a few weeks later and said, hey, can you be in Charleston, West Virginia tomorrow? And I'm like, yes, yes, I can. And then did that really cool segment with the Rock and Roll Express. But I don't know if it helped or hurt or anything. I think that all AEW interviews, probably with the exception of Chris Jericho, have to go through the same channels to make this happen. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what is the first thing that you would do? Read a book, take a nap, play some video games, do something for a friend, volunteer. A lot of us spend our lives wishing that we had more time. But the question is, time for what? And if it was unlimited, how would you go about using it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important for you and to make it a priority. And therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is so valuable. It's gotten me through some tough times, really helped me reflect on things that are important, specifically with BetterHelp. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be the convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. This is so beneficial when you've got that crammed schedule and you can't even imagine finding that extra hour. You can do it all from home. Fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Fightful today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Fightful. It's so flexible and it can help you find that social sweet spot with BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp.com slash Fightful. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Interesting. So uh, last question I'll ask. Has there been a question that you've ever been like, what kind of reaction am I going to get for this? Is this question going to just not not screw it all up for me? But I don't even want to say afraid to ask a question. But like, were there like, are there any that come to mind where you're like, uh oh, what's going to happen here? In terms of wrestling interviews, I don't know, because generally I'm asking them beforehand, like, sure. Hey, is there, is there anything that's off limits? And if they go, Oh no, nothing's off limits. And I go, are you sure? Like, can I ask you about this thing? Yeah. You can ask me about that thing. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So now they're already prepped for that. So I would say, no, not, not, not especially. I'm trying to, I'm trying to really dive into this. Sure. And even with just celebrity interviews, I will say with the celebrity interviews, because we talked about it, it was like a four-minute interview. You're trying to do whatever you can to make your interview stand out from everybody else's. I'll just swing for the fences. Of course. And if you look at like my highlight reel, like I'm there's moments where like 
I asked Gerard Butler if he would movie punch me. And he's like, yeah, here we go. And like, he does a movie punch to me. Or like I asked Rosie Huntington Whiteley if she would give me like a model stare. And it was like, like it floored me. It was just this amazing moment. So I realized early on to swing for the fences. And if it works out, amazing, you've got gold. And if it just, you know, kind of fizzles out or it's a little bit awkward, edit it out. Nobody even needs to know that it happened except for you and the other people in the room. And I learned this from my very good friend, Jake Hamilton. He has a YouTube channel called Jake's Takes, and he's one of the best celebrity interviews on the face of the planet. And he's had these unbelievable moments. He danced with Angelina Jolie during an interview. He got Morgan Freeman to read his own eulogy. Like he read a eulogy about my friend Jake. So like he had all these amazing moments and I went, oh, he's just going for it. Like he's going for it. He's building up a bit of a rapport and then he's going for it. And I'm like, well, I need to learn from that. And I actually started calling it Jake Hamilton moments. I'm going to try to have a Jake Hamilton moment. And I would go into these interviews like, what can I do that'll make this stand out from everybody else's? And I've kind of just carried that with me through my entire career. So here's my Jake Hamilton moment. Will you give me one of your Emmys? One of my Emmys? Listen, listen. Because fair trade here. Oh, I am my the gosh. world's greatest dirt sheet boy. Wow. Well, you know what? I do have four of them. You got so. four of them. I've only got one of these. Huh. I just know I'm going to win this again. So which one should I give you? I'll take the least good one. Whichever yeah. one you feel you deserve the least, I'll the take. The least good one. Because huh. I definitely don't deserve it. Let's see. I will give you... Hmm. I'm this ready. is my most recent one, so... Okay. Here you go. Would you like to give an acceptance speech? Yes, I would. Um, I would like to uh, thank everybody uh, because I worked really hard. I have not learned how to tie a tie yet, but from what I understand, if you work on a show with call letters, you can win an Emmy. I mean, look at John Alba. He won one. So <laughs> that's how I know that even though I don't deserve one, I deserve one more than him. So I am, I'm happy to accept this. Congratulations, my friend. That's amazing. I th- I'd like to thank you. You made it possible. Well, no, you, you earned this. I did. You're right. Yeah, I well, did. This, this, there's actually a life lesson to be learned here. And it's that if you don't ask, the answer is always no. That's right. And sometimes, based on what I see with John Alba having an Emmy, all you got to do is ask to win an Emmy. <laughs> you're going to win one. You now asked four times. One. Man, congratulations. Thank you Which so much. Which one is this? Uh, this was craft, on-camera talent, performer, slash host, slash narrator. Congratulations, my friend. I did good. I did good. Well, well, Chris, you do good all the time. You've got your YouTube channel. you got a lot of stuff going on. Tell the people where they can find you. Well, if you're watching this on YouTube, my YouTube channel is just my name, Chris Van Vliet. My podcast, Insight with Chris Van Vliet, wherever you listen to podcasts. My website is chrisvanvliet.com. We've got recaps and some great transcriptions of the interviews if you're ever looking to just read about them there. And then on social media, it's just at Chris Van Vliet, wherever you like to spend your time. But Sean Ross Sapp, this has been, what a great day we've had. It has been a great day. You were on my show. I was on your show. This has been a great time. We've been talking for about two and a half hours now, and it's, yeah. it's been a good day. It's been a very good been. day. I And I, I'm sorry if some sort of giant news has broken during nah. this time and you're not looking at your phone. Listen, buddy, 
the giant news doesn't break until I see it anyway. <laughs> wow. Man. What a heel. <laughs> Everybody support Chris Van Vliet. Uh, he, he provides us a steady stream of news. Also, good advice to anybody that does interviews. Transcribe them or have somebody do it and send it to us. That makes a mountain of difference. But Chris Van Vliet, thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Until next time, guys, we're out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.